I think about sense of belonging. I think about friendships. I think about like, how do we help one another um, achieve goals or even be able to think about what is that next goal or how do we help individuals maximize their talents and skills? And that can be as an undergraduate student, an alum, colleagues. Hello, and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Keith Edwards. Today, we're talking about fraternity and sorority life. I'm joined by three leaders who are here to discuss the benefits, challenges, and future of fraternity and sorority life on college campuses. I'm so excited to learn from each of you. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and online learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find details about this episode or browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. This episode is sponsored by Leadershape. Go to leadershape.org to learn how they can work with you to create a just, caring, and thriving world. This episode is also sponsored by Vector Solutions, formerly EverFi, the trusted partner for 2,000 and more colleges and universities. Vector Solutions is a standard of care for student safety, well-being, and inclusion. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Keith Edwards. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm a speaker and consultant and coach. And you can find out more about me at keithedwards.com. I'm broadcasting from Minneapolis, Minnesota at the intersections of the ancestral homelands of the Dakota and the Ojibwe peoples. Let's get to the conversation. I am so excited to have all of you here, uh, leaders on your campuses uh, and in the profession. So glad that you're here uh, and love to have you all introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit more about you. Uh, I think we're gonna start with Michelle. Hello friends. My name is Michelle Gabadia. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am the director of fraternity and sorority life here at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. I've been the director here for the last 14 years. Uh, I tell people it is my dream job. Uh, I am a member of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. Uh, I've been a member for 22 years this year, and that has really probably informed my career, uh, becoming a, a sorority woman as an undergrad and then going into this field. I'm also a speaker and a facilitator for the Catalyst Agency, uh, speaking specifically on anti-hazing, Greek leadership, um, and uh, diversity in our councils. So those are the kind of the professional things that I do, but I'm a proud member of the Association of Fraternity and Sorority Advisors. Uh, and I believe in fraternity and sorority life even today. So that is a little bit about me, friends. Awesome. Well, we'll love to hear more about why you believe in it and why you add even today. So uh, really great to have you here. And, and Michelle and I go back to when she was an undergrad. So we've known each other for a long time. So so great That's to, right. to have you here. I was an uh, RA under you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, I knew you when. Uh, Chris, we've not met before today, but tell us all a little bit more about you. Uh, thanks, Keith. I am Chris Graham. I am coming to you from Tallahassee, Florida, where I live and work. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, his. I have the pleasure and privilege of serving as the director of fraternity story life at Florida State University. Um, I've been here for the past eight going on nine years. Uh, and I also have the pleasure and privilege of serving as the current president of the Association of Fraternity Sorority Advisors. Um, and I am a proud member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Um, I joined uh, as a collegiate member uh, at undergrad where I went to school at Winston-Salem State University in North Carolina. Um, so very familiar with 
UNC Charlotte where Michelle works. Mm -hmm. um, like Michelle, I too believe in um, the power and potential of this experience and this thing that we know and love called fraternity sorority life. Um, and I've dedicated the better half to the last decade or so um, working um, in this industry and doing all that I can, not just on my campus, but collectively across the country to try to help make a difference. Um, not just with our students, but also uh, with my colleagues that work in this industry profession. So awesome. excited for the conversation today. Yeah, thanks so much for being here, Chris. Over to you, Kim. You were on a previous episode uh, with Glenn on recovering from COVID. So really glad to have you back with us and talking about fraternity sorority life. Tell us a little bit more about you. Yes, thank you. Thanks for the invite. So I am Dr. Kim Montoya Freitas, use she, her pronouns. I'm the director here at The Ohio State University in Columbus. I've worked at land-grant institutions for about 16 years of my 20-ish career, um, and I'm very proud by Sigma Sigma. This is my 25th year of membership. I can't believe that that has just flown by, and um, I'm thrilled to be here with my colleagues that I, I really treasure their friendship and this conversation and the fact that we are just so committed still to sorority and fraternity life is, is very um, exciting. And... Um, I am also one of the NASPA National um, Fraternity Sorority Knowledge Community Chairs and also volunteer for the association. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, thanks to all three of you for being here. I think this will be uh, really engaging and really interesting. But let's just begin. When we're talking about fraternity and sorority life, what really does that include? Um, help bring folks who maybe are less familiar really up to speed. And I think, Chris, you're going to lead us off here. Uh, I'm going to defer to... I certainly uh, am a leader in the industry, but I will defer to Kim to kick us off. Um, since she's been affiliated the longest. Uh, so oh. let's start with Kim. All right, Kim. Oh gosh, so restate the whole thing then, because I he, yeah. you caught me off guard, Chris. It's okay. When we're talking about fraternity story life, what does all of that include? Literally, what are, what are we kind of talking about here? Oh my gosh. So for me, like if I, I am to make it personal, Mm -hmm. um, I'm the first for my family to graduate for, from high school. Mm -hmm. So that is something that is very meaningful and impactful for me. So when I think about sorority and fraternity life and, and what that all encompasses at the center for me is a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. And that can mean a lot for every single individual. I'm sure we can all say something on this um, podcast. Um, but I think about sense of belonging. I think about friendships. I think about like, how do we help one another um, achieve goals or even be able to think about what is that next goal or how do we help individuals maximize their talents and skills? And that can be as an undergraduate student, an alum, colleagues. Um, yeah, so I'll stop there because I know that Michelle and Chris will have lots to add as well. Go ahead, Michelle, what would you add? I think when we're thinking about fraternities for your life, I think about leadership. And I, it's weird that not everyone immediately goes there, but the motto in my office is hashtag we make leaders. And in fraternities for your life, we can really facilitate, foster, uh, and really enrich leadership in a lot of different ways. I have first-generation students who have never been the president of an organization with 150 people. That's a leadership skill set. We have students who have never done recruitment and how, how do we recruit or bring people into our organizations? That is, that is leadership. We have students that we train so they can facilitate conversations with their peers or potential new members or with other stakeholders. That's leadership. I think time and time again, you'll see some of the best leaders on college campuses 
really get their start in something like fraternities and sororities alongside with RAs and tour guys. But fraternity and sorority life is an opportunity where you can get a lot of people exposed to leadership development and that's gonna be enriched for as long as they're in the organization, at least at the undergraduate level and for some organizations beyond. Mm -hmm. Great. great. I, I think um, that's great. If I could add anything, I would say, you know, I agree with, with Kim and, and Michelle about the belonging and leadership pieces. And I also just think about like the word connection really resonate with me when I think about fraternity sorority life. Like, you know, there are a lot of other types of organizations and opportunities and initiatives on all of our campuses that allow students and help students uh, develop their leadership skills or develop a sense of belonging. But how that connection is fostered within and across that the fraternity sorority experience is different, you know, like we all we all share proudly our affiliations and how long we've been affiliated, right? Because that means a lot to us personally, but it also means that we're part of something that's bigger than ourselves. The respective chapter that we, I mean, it's its very deep and meaningful, right? Like if you meet a sister or brother in, in the airport, you meet a sister or brother, you know, you're driving down the road and you see somebody with the tags on their car and they're <laughs> yes. pulled over. I'm gonna pull over and help my brother change yeah. his tire if that's what he needs in yeah. the moment. If mm -hmm. I was in Senate or the basket weaving club with somebody, I'm mm -hmm. probably not gonna, I'm not inclined to do that, right? It's not mm -hmm. because I'm not a good person, but the sense of connection that we have to and with each other, it's just very deep and rich. And I think because of those connections, because of that sense of belonging, because of the leadership, mm -hmm. there's a deep sense of affinity that we have, not just to this to the organizations, but to our alma maters, to yeah. other people in the community. You know, like I probably tell people some of my closest and best friends are sorority women and fraternity men in other organizations outside yes. of the organization that I'm affiliated with, right? Yes. Um, and I think about the affinity that I have to my alma mater. A, a huge part of that is because of how I came to care about and love the, or, the, the institution through my organization. I mean, it's mm -hmm. not it's not happenstance that at, it doesn't matter what institutional type. It could be a small private, it could be a large public land grant like Florida State or The Ohio State or UNC Charlotte or Winston-Salem State University for that matter. Most of the leaders on the board, right? Most of the folks who are giving back to the institution are overwhelmingly affiliated. That I don't think that's just happenstance. It's because of the experiences that those folks had while they were in undergrad and beyond, but it's also the skills and opportunities that they were able to develop and leverage that have afforded them the opportunity to be successful professionally. Mm -hmm. The last thing um, that I'll share that comes to mind for me is, um, that people don't often think about that I think we need to think more about, especially considering the environment right now is, I, I remember very vividly the experiences that I had with my brothers in undergrad and those early development experiences taught me how to disagree with people, people that mm -hmm. I loved deeply and people that mm -hmm. I did not care for as much, right? Mm -hmm. Like whether those were my brothers or whether it was people in other organizations or people that, that, that you know, they weren't even affiliated, but being in a fraternity really taught me how to disagree with people. And again, people that I love dearly and then people that I certainly had very little affinity for altogether. But that sense of civility, that sense of being able to walk up to somebody and shake their hand and look them in the eye, even if I disagree with where they were coming from or their approach um, has really been meaningful to me personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate all three of you sort of leading with this uh, around some of the benefits about leadership and belonging and connection. Um, help folks who maybe aren't as familiar, uh, and, and I don't know who wants to lead us on this, but 
Um, what are the different types of organizations that people are affiliated with from IFC and Panhellenic and multicultural Greek organizations? I think so much has been added over time. Um, could you help us understand that a little bit better? Yeah, I'll, I'll chime in a, a little bit on that. I think at the baseline, fraternity and sorority is fraternity and sorority. And all of, regardless of the letters on your chest, all of those groups deserve respect and resources on college campuses, regardless of how big the council is, how big the chapter is, all of them, there should be some equity across the board. That always, that hasn't always been the case in our field. So of course you think about Panhellenic organizations, which usually are some of our biggest organizations on campus. Uh, sometimes they are the majority uh, in, 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 in representation on a campus of, of women, sometimes not, depending on the campus. You go around the country, you see a lot of very diverse councils. But when you when people think sorority, usually Panhellenic is the imagery that comes to their mind. The same on the flip, when we look at IFC or interfraternal council organizations, again, usually the majority of student representation are on a lot of colleges and camp campuses, and they're usually the men's groups, the largest mm -hmm. men's groups. We also have MPHC, which is the National Panhellenic uh, Council, which are historically African-American fraternities and sororities at the national level. There are nine of them, individual organizations, and you may or may not find all nine on a college campus. Actually, it's kind of rare that you mm -hmm. find all nine, but when you do, it's like, oh my God, this is great. Uh, but again, historically African-American organizations. So where you're gonna find African-American students in those groups. However, you're gonna find students from across the spectrum in that, right? Mm -hmm. Because they were founded because they couldn't join some other groups that were on campus. So mm -hmm. they haven't closed their doors to what it look, what you need to look like to be a part of the organization. What I tell students is if you're down for the cause, then this may be the, the group that you are down for. Mm -hmm. We also have multicultural based organizations in a lot of different areas. We have Asian fraternities and sororities. We have Southeast Asian fraternities and sororities. We have LGBTQ uh, organizations. We have uh, Latinx fraternities and sororities. We have multicultural fraternities and sororities. And depending on what campus you're at, they're organized differently. They could be in a multicultural Greek council. They can be in an Asian Pacific Islander uh, council. They can be in, our groups are called DGC, Diversified Greek Council. But we also have groups that don't fit into any of those things. I have a music fraternity. I have a STEM sorority on my campus. I have a Christian faith-based sorority and a Christian faith-based fraternity on my campus. Fraternity and sorority does not look like it did eons ago in movies where it was it was just a binary fraternity sorority and this is what it looked like there's everything in between we tell students if you want to be greek there's a way to do it and it's not the way you think mm -hmm. uh there are opt there are options on what you want your fraternity and sorority to look like to feel like and to be and depending on which one of those groups you join your affinity may look different your commitment to the organization at the mm -hmm. undergraduate or even the alumni level may look different the 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 funding uh, and how much it is to join may look vastly different as well but i think it's important for our professionals to one be culturally competent and understanding that it comes in a, in a full spectrum and it to be a good professional you need to understand all of that and you should be treating them all the same but they should all be respected and resourced at the yeah. same level which i think is very important on campuses that's such a great quick concise primer on all these different organizations you did a wonderful job Kim, <laughs> Chris, would you want to add anything to that no i i mean maybe not add but just like reiterate the part about equity of resources um, oftentimes we just add a council on to a title or we put a little bit of money over here because there's less members um, so that is huge and just thinking about how are we spending our time and being open to the ideas 
I feel like I'm constantly having conversations with colleagues about um, whether it's their Christian-based organizations or professional fraternities and sororities um, that are, you know, having a social experience and wondering like how how to work with these organizations, how to support these organizations. So I'm really glad that Michelle put that out there. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I just I don't I don't think that can be reemphasized enough about the respect and resources and you know. One of the things that I always, when I get the opportunity to in my role uh, as AFA president, get to engage with senior level administrators or aspiring senior level student affairs administrators is to try to help them understand. And I think Kim and Michelle would agree, regardless of the type of fraternity that we're talking about, when, when the fraternity and sorority community is, is strong and thriving, so is the student experience. Yeah. So when my MPHC is thriving, they're doing like programming, they're engaged, they're, the, the morale is high. The same is true for the Black student experience. When my, we call it multicultural, multicultural Greek Council on my campus. When my MGC is thriving, morale is high, they're programming, like they have high attainable goals. The, 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 so, I mean, the students that identify with that community, their experience is enriched as well. And so that, that resource component and respect component cannot be reemphasized enough because it bleeds over to the entire campus community. It's not just about the 26 people that might be affiliated with the Multicultural Greek Council. It's about that entire student community and population, even for those students who have not made the, the choice to become affiliated with one of those organizations. The last thing I'll say very quickly is the respect piece. First, I'll say it's important to, to understand the history of these organizations and why they exist to begin with and why different types of organizations exist, right? Uh, I'm not going to give that list history lesson here, but but <laughs> it's 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 very important, and I don't I think it's incredibly difficult to respect and resource those or all of the organizations when you don't understand the history about them uh, to begin with. From that though, on the respect piece is, is it's very important. So like working on a college campus, one of the things that I try to encourage my colleagues to do, some of them really struggle with it, is to stop saying things like oh sorority recruitment in the fall. No, not all of my sororities are participating in taking new members in that fashion or in that structure, or in that process. That is not sorority recruitment. It is the Panhellenic Association of Recruitment process. That's how they will take members. Zeta Phi Beta, Delta Sigma Theta, et cetera, et cetera. They will take members in a different way and it will not be called sorority recruitment. So I also think that respect pieces about language and how you show up and give access to um, all of the different types of organizations. Yeah, I love all of you emphasizing the equity, which is not treating everyone the same um, and really highlighting resources, uh, but also respect and the language and, and, and our, our knowledge base and, and being aware of that. Really appreciate that. Um, we, we, you all mentioned some of these uh, benefits, connection, belonging, and leadership. Let's talk a little bit more about the benefits of student involvement in fraternity and sorority life today for the students, which I think we've, we've talked about, for the institutions and for the broader society. Chris mentioned a little bit of this. These organizations have an impact beyond their members they, on the broader campus community in lots of different ways. Um, Kim, why don't you lead us off here uh, around <laughs> some of the benefits to students, institutions, and the broader society. Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, the nod that you made, we have mentioned quite a few things already, mm -hmm. but um, I think some things that are worth mentioning that we haven't talked about is the retention. 
So thinking about like the institution schools, again, no matter what type of university you go to, we really want to make sure that we're retaining those students and graduating those students and really thinking about their academic goals, because right, that's why we hope that they're here. Um, and I, I believe that our fraternities and sororities also have that goal. They want to retain their members. They want to also see them graduate, which as um, Chris talked about a little bit earlier, thinking about the affinity that one can have to their organization and university. Like we want to make sure that we help encourage that and build that so that those alums can continue to come back. And whether that's just celebratory to, um, you know, tell a different person like, hey, you should check out my university or my organization, or maybe eventually that is the encouragement of a donor. Um, I also think about, uh, which we talked a little bit about with the leadership, but how is that also coupled with being civically engaged and serving our community, thinking about um, those leaders' roles in voting um, and talking about all sorts of um, engagement, right? So whether that's voting or getting into the community and just being a good neighbor, which is so awesome. And we want them to be good neighbors, not just as college students, but for life, right? right. Um, and... Gosh, yeah, we already talked about sense of belonging. I would say retention, engagement, and I'm sure Chris and Michelle are going to add on. That's where I would start off. Now, Michelle, what would you add on there? Add on the alumni engagement part. That's a huge part and a benefit to the institution mm -hmm. and to the alma mater. Chris yes. mentioned a little bit about that affinity. We're a fundraising pool. I will be very honest, a, a large reason why I give back to the University of Delaware, go Blue Hens, is because I became a Zeta there. My experience there was fantastic. So when they call me make a donation, I'm here for it. Fraternity to your life makes you increasingly philanthropic. And, mm -hmm. and with philanthropic uh, giving mixed in with high affinity is going to get you great results. So it's not about keeping the alumni happy. It's knowing that having a good, healthy Greek community is going to produce alumni that have not only a high affinity for their organization, one for the institution. So it's easier to fund a leadership development, a retreat, to endow an office, to you know create systems or programs for students, particularly in that area that they have a high affinity to. And because that is inherent in the fraternity and sorority experience, good institutions are tapping into that. I think about some of the best Greek communities in the country, they have endowed offices for fraternity and sorority life by alumni. Um, the student union here at my institution is, is the name on it is one of the, is one an alpha from one of our chapters here. That's huge to have a black man who's a member of Alpha Phi Alpha on our student union, right? And the chapter is proud of that, the MPC is proud of that, and they wanna give. They're like, ooh, one day I'm gonna become the next guy who gets to put a name on, on a building. I have students graduate all the time, they're like, how much can I write a check when I make it big? I'm like, as much as you'd like, I will. <laughs> we will we've got plenty of things to fund yes. but it's because of their affinity to the experience. And so fraternity story life should be working hand in hand with alumni engagement and the foundation and really setting up opportunities for ways for alumni to give in a way that feels really important and special to them. And there's an easy case to make for a leadership development course, a leadership development activity, funding students to go to a conference, making an endowment for scholarship. That is an mm -hmm. easy case. I do not have trouble selling that to alum who want to give money and already feel a high affinity to their organization and to the institution. Yeah, awesome. Uh, and we're talking, we talked about the leadership and belonging and the connection, the retention of students, uh, donors. Uh, Chris, you even were mentioning, you know, helping people 
uh, when they're when they need their tire replaced, um, and, and Kim bringing in the civic I've done engagement. That. I've had to do that. So yeah, <laughs> right. There it is. The 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 civic <laughs> engagement uh, from voting, the service, the philanthropy. Uh, what else would you add here about some of the benefits uh, to students, institutions, and society of fraternity story life engagement? I, I think Kim and Michelle summed it up. I, I just people talk about tangible skills and soft skills. I don't think they're soft. I think they're critical skills that you need mm -hmm. to thrive and survive in society. Right. So uh, all of the things that we're hitting on, I think it's important to not take those opportunities and those that skill development for granted. I. Mm -hmm. I I was in other student organizations on campus, and I can tell you, it's not even close in terms of the development that I got in my fraternity in comparison to the other organizations that I were part of. And it's not about those organizations being less than, it's just with how they're structured or the purpose that they have. Some of those opportunities don't exist. You know, I mean, we're talking about the size of the chapters, right, for some of our organizations. They are running, there are small businesses that are not nearly mm -hmm. as large as some of my sororities and fraternities, right? Mm -hmm. If you think about a budget perspective as the vice president of finance or the treasurer, you are managing in some instances upwards of a million dollar budget annually. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Think about what that means to be 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, managing that sort of income and revenue. And mm -hmm. the experiences that you get from that regardless of your major, but in particular, if you have aspirations to do anything with finance, accounting, et cetera, right? Like mm -hmm. you're, I mean, that's three or four years of experience that you can't, you know what I mean? You can't, mm -hmm. you can't make up that up in, in other types of instances, right? So that's one mm -hmm. example. Another example is just the, some of the skills that you're not gonna learn through a textbook or through an academic course. Like I was talking earlier about how to disagree with people. Kim was talking about civic engagement. I mean, when I joined my fraternity, I had to be registered to vote. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. to be honest with you, I mean, I didn't grow up in an environment where we were super civically engaged. So I had never really thought about it. But my first time voting was because I was registered because I had to be in order to become an alpha. So mm -hmm. I just think there are some inherent things that sometimes we don't even think about because we do this right. every day or because we're not even aware of it. That really is helping our students be prepared to be civically engaged, be prepared to, to be a leader in society and disagree with people. You know, mm -hmm. Michelle answered the question about all the different types of organizations. So many college students, especially in today's environment with how we built residence halls with the virtual learning even before COVID, so many students can go through the college experience, unlike when the three of us were in college or four of us for that matter, mm -hmm. and stay in their bubble. Right. Mm -hmm. I lived in a residence hall that there was one bathroom on the floor. Now they built residence halls where you, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's insane to me. But you, you could, my point is, you could go through the entire academic college experience and literally stay in your bubble. In fraternity and sorority life, that is almost impossible to do. My Panhellenic women get to engage with the women and the men, for that matter, in all the other councils and vice mm -hmm. versa for any mm -hmm. other council. They are seeing and engaging with people that are different from them from the very beginning of their membership experience. And that's beneficial. Not every registered student organization on a college campus is going to have that opportunity to learn and right. grow from and engage from people that are different from them. So, Absolutely. I mean, I could talk about this forever, but I think those <laughs> are the things sometimes we don't think about and we don't think yeah. about the difference that that's making and the impact. That it's For sure. But I'm, I'm hearing from all of you the, the benefits really is about the uh, the level of intensity of this experience is really kind of unmatched, right? It's the level of engagement, it's the depth of engagement, it's the level of intensity. Um, 
the scale, the size, the connection, uh, the people, the level of involvement. Um, you all started off saying you're big believers in fraternity and sorority life, and that's why you're leading these organizations that you're in and doing the great work on campuses. And you also know some of the challenges. So Michelle, maybe you can lead us off. What are some of the challenges you see facing fraternity and sorority life uh, right it's, now? It's no secret that fraternity and sorority life has had to play defense for a lot of years. It's been a long time since we've been on offense and we've been able to share our story and tell our story. Usually when you hear about fraternity and sorority life, it's like, but it's not like that. And this is an isolated incident or this is a problem we're working on. And so we've had some challenges and I don't think anyone who works in the, in the field denies that. Uh, just like in any area of student affairs. I think unfortunately there are some problems that we probably should have eradicated by now that we're still struggling with. But I, I wanna say very clearly before I, I dive into some of those that it's not a fraternity and sorority issue. We're dealing with the human condition issue. Mm. Every time you bring humans into the mix, you're, they have an option of right and wrong and yes and no. So when we put that in with 18 to 22 year olds, things that seem logically like this is just what we should be doing is not always so logical. So we are still struggling with hazing. Hazing is not something that was birthed out of fraternities and sororities. Hazing is something that the human condition allows choice in, unfortunately, right? So students are choosing to engage in it. Students feel like they have to. Students feel like they're pressured into. Students feel like this is the way and the light and the truth. And so they're still engaging in it, even though we've poured thousands and millions of dollars in education and redirecting behavior and consequences. People have been sued and people have died from hazing. And yet we're still struggling with that, which tells you it's not a fraternity and sorority issue. It's how do you get across to humans? Like we probably shouldn't do this. So I think hazing is, is one of the areas that I'm passionate about eradicating. And you know, I commit a lot of my speaking to that. But hazing is something that's still part of the fabric that we're dealing with, that we're trying to cut out. I think uh, my colleagues can speak to some of the areas like alcohol, like sexual assault, um, and, and, and those are some other things that have plagued us along the ways as well. But we're still uh, combating that, some of us better than others. And I give shout outs to a lot of national organizations. They too are pouring time, money, energy, and resources and trying to combat it and, and be partners and collaborators with us. Again, some are better than others, mm -hmm. but it's not just the campus professional that's in that fight alone. The national organizations and local organizations are, are doing their part too, but they recognize it. We don't teach hazing. Mm -hmm. We have humans who all of a sudden want to make some decisions about mm -hmm. how things should be run for mm -hmm. sure. Great. Kim, what would you add? What would you add to some of the challenges that Michelle oh my gosh. out there? So challenges, you know, I think about if we've been living in a pandemic, right? So I think about the intersection of, of being in a pandemic and loneliness and mental health. And just thinking about just that word mental health and the gigantic spectrum that that is, um, whether that's anxiety of finally going back to class in person or um, dealing with suicide ideations. And I do um, wanna go back to what we've shared about how the sorority and fraternity environment does provide so many resources and connections. So we are all hopeful that with our teachings of our sorority and fraternity leaders that we're getting these resources to them and you know, them being on a college campus that they know what resources they have, but mental health, with pandemic and talking about any challenge, whether that's hazing or alcohol, mm -hmm. that does need to be something that we continue to talk about. Um, and not just, you know, it's not a one solution fits all. So that's something that's constantly on my mind and my team's mind. I would also say for us here at Ohio State, we continue to have challenges with unrecognized organizations. Um, those are organizations who have been found responsible for 
particular violations and um, have been asked to not organize anymore as a recognized organization on campus. And um, we find ourselves that oftentimes they do continue and oftentimes it's without their headquarters support. So I too would give a nod to the headquarters that have been our partner to help us really try to get the word out that these are not recognized organizations. These are not fraternities or Greek letter organizations. Um, but that is a challenge that continues uh, for us and for other campuses, especially during the pandemic where we're seeing um, recognized organizations maybe having some different levels of um, not being able to have everything in person, mm -hmm. but the unrecognized groups can. So. Mm. Yeah, just a lot of a lot of the the resources and education and development, um, and then also the accountability not there for yes. for those organizations to kind of yeah. go rogue. Um, yeah. Um, I, so my colleagues really uh, nailed it when it comes to a lot of the day to day challenges we face with the students who are currently experiencing this, in particular at the collegiate level. So. Um, I will share some of the other challenges that I that I think a lot about and that I'm very passionate about is some of the challenges just have to do with us at the professional level. And whether that be the professionals that are currently working in this respective functional area for training story life, whether that's the professionals that might be supervising this respective area, whether that's the vice president of student affairs or the senior you know, chief student affairs officer, or even the, the, the leader of the institution itself, the the the, the, the president or chancellor of the institution. And I say that because to Michelle's point about environment and, and human condition, it is unrealistic and quite frankly, not just naive, but I would say a bit ignorant to expect, I don't care what size staff it is, to, to manage all of those problems and issues that the students are showing up with, right? One of the things that I always say is, I don't work in admissions. What I mean by that, I, I don't say that for, in terms of any disregard to my colleagues that do. No. But I did not admit a single student that got a bid or that that was accepted for intake in any organization. Mm -hmm. I didn't. It, it, some of these expectations would be realistic if I was the staff, if I was the person responsible for admitting them to the institution. But whatever Chris Graham is showing up with to said institution, that was that he made it through the admissions process. Meaning we felt like that student met our minimum standards and expectations to contribute and participate and be a student at our institution. What they do when they show up is incumbent upon all of us. It's not just based upon Kim because she's the director of attorney story life if they make the decision to become affiliated. It's much deeper and broader and bigger than that. And for some reason, we've gotten into this thinking historically, it's starting to evolve to some extent, I would argue not quick enough, that we, we need a collective impact model and a collective impact philosophy if we're gonna make the type of difference that we need to make. And, and I'm not saying that to, to, to uh, suggest that we, don't, we, don't, we should not own our challenges and our problems and solutions. I'm just saying that they don't belong to just us, mm -hmm. right? I need the public health professionals working. I need the counseling and mental health professionals, et cetera, et cetera. So mm -hmm. we're all in this together. The expectations cannot just be at the feet of the professionals that are working and serving in this respective area. You look at things like longevity and all of us share how long we've been doing this. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, <laughs> we're rare. <laughs> we are rare. And unfortunately, it's not common. Unfortunately, uh, all of us are above the age of, you know, the, the average staff member that's working in this industry. Yeah. Um, you know, so 
I could go on and on and on about that. Mm-hmm. that. That's a challenge. That's a problem. Think about all of the things that we talked about as it relates to the benefits. Think about the alumni engagement. Think about the risk management. Think about the civic engagement, et cetera, et cetera. Why, are not, why aren't fraternity and sorority life professionals compensated much better? Um, and, and I say that just if you look yeah. at it from a business perspective, if you had an entity on your campus that was so integral to the success of your institution, you would think about how to maintain that and sustain that longer, right? Like, I mean, if you look at the athletic models, right, especially at places like Kim and I's institution, there is a reason those folks are compensated the way that they are. It's because of the benefit that they add and the value add to the institution from a financial model perspective. Fraternities, royal life professionals are no different, right? I mean, most of the folks at the highest level of governance at, at our institutions on our boards are affiliated with fraternities, royal life. So I think there are some professional challenges that have nothing to do with the students, even if every last one of them showed up and did the right thing you know, had the skills that, you know, et cetera, et cetera, there would still be a lot of challenges. And my last point is just environment. I think a lot about that because these students are showing up with many of these challenges, whether they're mental health challenges, whether it's students that got engaged or involved in, you know, substance use and abuse as high school students, but why aren't they dying in a high school club at the rate that they're dying in a fraternity or sorority on a college campus? I believe a big part of that has to do with the environment. And it's, it takes everybody to think about how do we shape and form and evolve from an environmental perspective, right? And the last thing I'll say is think about a legislative perspective. So think of athletics. I'm a huge college athletics fan. Name, image, and likeness is brand new. And we already have state legislators thinking about how do we evolve these laws? Like these are inequitable laws. Things are happening that are not fair, that are not right. Why don't legislators have the same perspective when it comes to hazing? Why don't legislators have the same perspective when it comes to college mental health support, mm-hmm. awareness, right, et cetera, et cetera. So I think a lot of the challenges have nothing to do with our students. And that's not to let them off the hook. That's just to suggest that we all have some ownership in making yeah. this better. I love this collective impact, uh, which then begs, where's the collective responsibility uh, that you're pointing to. And I love that you just angled for head football coach money there, Chris. So nice, nice way to get that in there. <laughs> take your I shot, would take right? assistant coach money. Yeah, that's right. I know, right? I, I, I crossed that. Yeah. 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 Well, um, we're, we're, we're running short on time. And so I want to move us to our, our last question. Uh, this podcast is called Student Affairs Now. Uh, so I always like to end with inviting you to think about uh, share what you're thinking about, what you're troubling, what you're pondering, maybe what you see as being on the horizon for fraternity and sorority life. Uh, so just want to invite each of you in to kind of share what you see ahead, uh, maybe based on this conversation, maybe things that you're just thinking about uh, generally. Um, let's, Michelle, let's uh, start with you. So I, I'll say that I don't think fraternity and sorority life is going anywhere. I think it's always going to be a part of not only the brick and mortar campus, but the virtual campus because of the affinity, because of the opportunities, but it will have to evolve and it's not always going to look the same way. Petroleum sorority life does not look how it looked when I joined my sorority in the fall of 2000. So it doesn't look the same in, in the spring of 2022. And that evolution is going to need competent professionals, stakeholders, and partners at all levels to really sustain it. I don't think it's going away but it is going mm-hmm. to continue to evolve. And I think that's really important for all of us to realize. Uh, we would like to have 
more people looking at returning to their life as a functional area, it is worth it. I tell people all the time, what I do is not brain surgery, but it's still just as important. Mm -hmm. uh, I am preparing tomorrow's leaders. I am preparing and I, and I take that responsibility very seriously. So I think those are the things that we need to look at the evolution and the continuation of the basic fundamental values of returning to our life and how that will continue to be a big part of the university and college system and process. And I think that's what's on the horizon. If it's student affairs now, right now we're still in a pandemic and the pandemic has not been kind to fraternity and sorority because we're such a high touch, high affinity. We need to be with each other. And because of that, we're gonna to have to evolve really strongly. It's gonna require us to go back to some basics, but at the same time, it's gonna need us to propel even faster mm -hmm. to get our students and our staff and our colleagues up to speed. Awesome, awesome. Kim, how about you? What's, uh, what are you with oh now? Gosh. What's on the horizon? Yeah, so I, I think two things really come up for me. The first one, um, you know, as Michelle just talked about evolving, and I would say evolving and um, really elevating our conversations um, around access and removing barriers. A lot of that, of that has really bubbled up in more spaces for us than pre-pandemic. So again, mm -hmm. financial transparency, how is money being spent? Um, and I don't see that going away. Mm -hmm. And then the other part, uh, kind of, you know, weaving in both Michelle and Chris's comments, um, there are a lot of institutions that are really evaluating their staffing models and really questioning, is one person the right thing and or is X number the right thing? And, and um, while that is great, and I am thankful that we have those conversations happening, I hope that they continue to be done so with intention because there are a lot of jobs that are posting and a nod to what Chris said, they aren't salaries that I personally would encourage a, a mentor, a friend um, to really seek out. So um, that is just something that's on my mind, um, working with teams and having mentors and just being in the conversation about the staffs and thinking about you know, how, how can we be on the forefront or how can we even move closer? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you, Chris. What's, uh, what's with you now, or what do you see on the horizon? Yeah, I would just say ditto to what my colleague shared and just be brief and say, I think it's a big inclusive component of this experience. If you think about the history of, of our organizations and how many of us came to be versus what we're dealing with in society at this time, it's a bit of a conflict there for many of the organizations. So thinking about how do you move forward in an inclusive way, there are things from a historical perspective that we absolutely do need to hold on to. I'm glad that there was a space for me to join a fraternity with, 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 with a fraternity versus a co-ed organization, right? So I think we got to think about what does that look like and feel like in 2030 and 2040, et cetera. So the inclusive component, and then I agree, like change, 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 change. So it will always exist. It will always be on a college campus. Yeah. It will very likely look different. And it feel, and it already does. <laughs> Even the last five years alone, much less 10 years, 20 yeah. years. So change, change, change would be the last thing. So. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, uh, we also want to give each of you a chance to share where people could connect with you if they want to connect with you more. Chris, where would you like to direct people who maybe want to connect with you? Um, I'm easy to find uh, via email, but also um, Twitter is my thing. Uh, so Chris Graham, just like uh, my name, Chris Graham 06. That's awesome. my Twitter handle. Thanks. And Kim, where can people connect with you? 
I too am, you know, easy to find. You can find me on LinkedIn or you can send me an email. It's defraidus.12 at osu.edu. Awesome. Thanks. And Michelle, how I, about you? I believe in branding. So you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all at MG Speaks Up. Same one. If you have a Peloton, that's my leaderboard name. You can ride with me there if you'd like to do that as well. MG Speaks Up is probably the easiest way to DM me or get in contact with me. And the email is mgabadia at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, this has been terrific. Uh, thanks to each of you for sharing your thoughts and your perspective. I love that we ended uh, around how do we evolve this experience and do so with intentionality and really be thoughtful about what this looks like moving forward. Thanks to each of you for your leadership and your contributions today. I also want to thank our sponsors of today's episode, uh, Leadershape and Vector Solutions. Leadershape partners with colleges and universities to create transformational leadership experiences, both virtual and in-person, for students and professionals with a focus on creating a more just, caring, and thriving world. Leadershape offers engaging learning experiences and courageous dialogue, integrity, equity, resilience, and community building. To find out more, please visit leadershape.org or connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And Vector Solutions, how will your institution rise to reach today's socially conscious generation? These students report commitments to safety, well-being, and inclusion are as important as academic rigor when selecting a college. It's time to reimagine the work of student affairs as an investment, not an expense. For over 20 years, Vector Solutions which now includes the Campus Prevention Network, formerly known as EverFi, has been the partner of choice for 2,000 and more colleges and universities and national organizations with nine efficacy studies behind their courses. You can trust and have full confidence that you're using the standard of care for student safety, well-being, and inclusion. Transform the future of your institution and the community you serve. Learn more at vectorsolutions.com slash studentaffairsnow. And a huge shout out to Nat Ambrosi, the production assistant for the podcast, who does all the behind the scenes work to make us look and sound good. If you're listening today and not already receiving our weekly newsletter, please visit our website at studentaffairsnow.com. Scroll to the bottom of the homepage to add your email to our MailChimp list. While you're there, check out the archives. I'm Keith Edwards. Thanks again to making uh, to our guests for being fabulous today and to everyone who's watching and listening. Make it a great week. Mm -hmm.